Hello, this is Henry Olson. I'm the editor of Flyover Country here at Unheard. And today we're going to be talking about a problem that most people in the developed world have heard about or deal with, and that's the problem of declining communities that still retain lots of people. These are areas that a lot of Americans are familiar with, places like Appalachia or places like some of the industrial cities of the Midwest. But you can find examples virtually anywhere in the Western world, such as some of the towns that voted heavily for Brexit in the United Kingdom or areas of East Germany that have still not recovered from the shock of reunification. It turns out that there might be an unheard solution to some of these problems. And to help me understand that is Professor Joseph Jerko. Professor Jerko is from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, and he's one of America's leading housing economists, and he joins us today via Skype. Professor Jerko, welcome to Unheard. Thanks for having me, Henry. Yeah. Well, you have done some very fascinating research on this, and you've looked at it in the United States as to why people may stay behind in areas where the future happened yesterday. Can you tell us what you found? Yeah, I, I certainly can. Um, my my co-conspirator in this work is Ed Glazier, a good friend and a professor of economics at, at Harvard. And what Ed and I found in research a few years ago is that there, there really are two reasons why people tend to stay in declining areas. One we've known about for a long time, and that's family networks. And like family's important. Um, so psychologically, you may stay simply because you feel better around family. It also could be efficient. It may be how you find a job. And But what Ed and I also found was that low housing costs in these declining areas holds people in. Um, look, cheap housing is better than expensive housing, right? Um, and it turns out one of the potentially foreboding aspects of this is it turns out the low-cost housing in declining markets, like where I grew up in near Dayton, Ohio, one of the, these Rust Belt places you talked about in your open, Henry, it turns out to hold lower-skill, lower-wage people more. And the, the reason appears to be that imagine two types of people. There's you, Henry, really high-skilled, high-wage people, and then there are people like me, low-skilled, low-wage people. Who benefits most from a really great, dynamic, improving labor market? The answer is you, the high-skilled person. So you turn out to be more likely to move to opportunity because even if I stay in my, my declining hometown, I'm going to get paid roughly the same wage whether I go to a Charlotte or a Houston with a more dynamic labor market. So you're economically better off, and in many cases, socially better off by staying in a place, even as you watch the buildings around you crumble a bit, and even as you might say, this was a great place 20 years ago, but now it's not so great, it still might be in your economic interest to stay. That's exactly right. That's what Ed Glazier and I, and I found, was that indeed, it's not that there's anything wrong with these people or that they're making an incorrect decision. The cheap housing, combined with the fact that they're not going to improve their wage all that much by moving to a higher growth market, can make it quite rational and quite sensible for people to stay where they are, um, particularly if they don't have high skills in an economy like the U.S., which tends to value high skills very highly.
Well, and certainly in the United Kingdom, where London is burgeoning and you can't find enough people to come and work, and talented people from all over Europe want to come and work in the city. And meanwhile, millions of Englishmen and Scotsmen are staying in places where manufacturing has been in decline or coal mining was shut down 30 years ago. I am wondering, though, um, is this true for smaller places that, as it is for large places? I mean, is, is this a problem of the declining big cities like in America, Detroit, or places in Sweden where the auto factories uh, have been closed for a long time? Or is this true you know, throughout? Is this can also help explain some stickiness of population in, say, rural Italy or rural or small-town America? Yeah, I think it definitely applies anywhere in the developed world. Um, so, Henry, I think it definitely applies to Detroit. Um, but Scranton, Pennsylvania, that metropolitan area, much smaller than Detroit's, is in our database and it applies equally well there. And I just can't name the appropriate city um, in Italy. But yes, the logic applies in the in the same way and certainly throughout the United Kingdom. Right. That's what I wanted to that's what I wanted to get is is it's not just Birmingham or Detroit. It's places that people in the big cities may never have heard of that have ten or twenty or fifty thousand people in them, but you have the same dynamic of cheap housing keeping people in a place that's no longer vibrant and growing. What you need is is cheap housing and then you'll keep even more people if they have a family network that's either very psychologically important to them or maybe efficient in terms of helping them find a find a job in a depressed labor market. That's all you need. It, the national, the, the name of the country or the specific metropolitan area doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So um, is this something that we should be concerned about as a society? I mean, obviously, if these people are making rational choices, uh, they're staying in places where their incomes may not be that much higher. Uh, their community could look nicer, but it sounds like maybe this is something that's okay and uh, we should overlook uh, that this is a, an, a problem in search or a solution in search of a problem. Uh, well, should we I'm, be worried about it? Sorry. I'm a professional economist, so I think about is it efficient? Now, there's a lot more to the world than is it efficient? Um, what you'd worry about, what an economist like me, Henry, would worry about is if it's inefficient. When might it be inefficient? When there are spillovers. So you or I make a decision to stay in a declining area and it's in our best interest. It could be, though, that if people like me tend to be low skilled and we're left with a very high concentration of poor or lower skilled people, it may be that it's fiscally almost impossible to make that community work. So there may be spillovers that make it worse for others. If that's the case, it's inefficient. Even though it's optimal for me, it can be inefficient for the broader society. It could be inefficient in, the, in a broader economic sense if the whole country's better off if we get to the more productive labor markets. Um, so yes, it, it may be more than just something we should, we should ignore. Yeah. Well, um, certainly you when you're talking about the language of efficiency in the, in the language of, uh, of common voters, we're talking about if people stay behind, they can't make much of a go of it. That means that the people who are making a go of it have to pay higher taxes and pay more subsidy in the terms of higher health care or higher wage uh, benefits or other things 
uh, that keep people in, you know, keep people reasonably content with their economic situation, even though the community can't support their aspirations. That's exactly right. And if that situation develops, and there's a decent amount of evidence it does develop in these declining areas, it will only encourage those who are doing well to move out quicker. Um, so one would imagine, one can imagine a situation where this gets worse unless there is some type of government intervention. Do you think that there's some sort of government intervention that could help alleviate this? I mean, some people say, as uh, of the Atlantic's former of the Atlantic, Kevin Williamson, said that these communities should be left to die uh, and uh, that uh, government should do nothing. Uh, that's certainly kind of a libertarian view. And then there's right. people who want to say, well, you know, what we should do is have every type of uh, government planning program possible to make sure that no community is left behind, to steal a phrase, and uh, steer jobs towards these places. Do you think there's something that might be in between the Scylla and Carbidus of these two approaches that might help people without creating either moral bankruptcy or fiscal bankruptcy? Yes, yes, I do. Uh, with, with respect to, to Williamson's point, that's the right answer from, I'll give you a formal economic answer. And then if you'll permit me a personal sort of view on this, which is just my personally, rather than as a professional economist, and certainly not necessarily my colleague Ed Glaziers. As an economist, if there were no spillovers, if my staying didn't harm anybody else, um, that would be the, the, the answer most economists would come up with, which is just let it go. Um, if there are negative spillovers, though, either fiscally or personally um, on others, then the then it becomes, I think, a much tougher question. And here's where I'll get to the personal point, which is I think there are spillovers. Um, I think you see it in our politics. Um, but I am quite sensitive to the fact that place based subsidies of the time and type Mr. Williamson clearly doesn't like. And as a general rule, neither do I. They, they might have a place here. So I think there, there, we should experiment, Henry, with two types of policies. One would be to encourage people to move to opportunity. If there's a better labor market for them, maybe there's some type of transportation subsidy, help and adjustment, just to, to go where you and your family in the future will be better off, even though it may be very hard for you to, to see that now. But on the other hand, it's clear that mobility is not high enough. We have many decades of this experience now in the U.S. with the decline of the Rust Belt areas in particular, where mobility is not high enough and it's causing political distress um, in the country. It's, it's an issue. And again, Ed Glazier, who I've worked with on this project, he and Larry Summers have written a really interesting piece recently on how to think about place-based subsidies for declining areas like this. It is a real challenge. Um, you can imagine the cronyism that might go on um, in these subsidy programs. But I think given the distress we're seeing in these localities, how it's affecting our politics and the like, I'd be willing personally to experiment with both. Um, and I, I, we should see what works. So in a sense, from a fiscal position, if you're an upper middle class taxpayer and your taxes are likely to go up one way or another, either to support people in place and declining communities or to pay for either jobs to come there or for people to move to jobs, 
maybe the latter two are preferable if your taxes are going to have to pay for more support anyway. Yeah, I mean, it well may be. I mean, I, I view it, again, this is personal. This isn't me outside my role as a professional economist. I, I'm a citizen. I think we're all in this together. Um, so we should care about these declining areas regardless um, of whether they'll go away all by themselves over a very long period of time. I just want to help the transition um, go, go, more, go more smoothly. And like I said, I'm willing to experiment with both types of policies, both place-based subsidies and an encouragement of people to go where the opportunity is. Well, thank you very much for your time and your insight. Your research is fascinating. Can you, uh, is there a link that people who might want to read the paper or papers that you've authored uh, that is available for our listeners and uh, our, our readers to uh, find out more? The academic piece is no longer mine. It was published in a journal called the Journal of Political Economy, which is published by the University of Chicago, and you would have to download it from them because, Henry, they now own the, the copyright, and I work for a university where we respect that copyright, so they would have to get it there. Well, gosh, our listeners in Beijing may find that a very new and uncommon concept. But thank you for your unheard solution to a very pressing problem. Uh, Professor Jerko, uh, I'm Henry Olson from Unheard, and thank you for listening.